0: One of the dangers of becoming a follower of Jesus is that we become judgmental. It really is true. And um, it can happen that as you start to take seriously what Jesus is saying about how you should live your life, and as you start to change things in your own life, it's easy to start looking around and going, oh, that person isn't doing what I'm doing. And, and we do it. It's very normal uh, to become more judgmental. And people notice. It's true. Like people people can can tell um, when you have become more righteous and and you when you start to sort of point that out. Now, I will also say that there is potentially I, I would say it's true that there is as much judging, if not more judging, outside of the church than there is inside the church. Like we have become a culture everywhere you go where people just judge. Constantly, no matter what happens, there's always a sense of can you believe? Can you believe they did that? Can you believe they, you know, they 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 said that they um, they acted that way? I, I just can't believe it. And of course, now that you've got social media, you've got you've got Twitter, you've got it's so easy for people to jump in and weigh in about. And I just can't believe that that happened. So judging has become like a spectator sport, and Jesus says that we have to be careful. When we do that. Now, he says to judge, or he says not to judge, and then he talks about the Bible also talks about how to judge. So we're gonna talk about this. Is this this should make us figure like like maybe our our brains might hurt a little bit to try to figure it out, but we're gonna figure it out tonight. So Jesus says this do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. So, The first question we have to ask is, what does it mean to judge? And we have to be clear on what judging is and isn't. Um, There's a, a passage in Romans 2, verse 1, where Paul says this. I also have it on the screen. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. And it goes on to say that you will face God's judgment. So why do you bother judging someone else? So we tend to judge people about the things that are sometimes true of us. That's what this, this verse says, that when you judge others, you, are, you, you who pass judgment do the same thing. So what does this mean? Does this mean we're supposed to ignore people no matter how, how many times they mess up? No. Uh, we have to figure out what Jesus means by do not judge. So the first thing we need to do is have a definition of what Jesus is talking about, and that there's unhelpful judging, and I looked it up, so there's, there's really two kinds of judging, and the judging that Jesus is talking about is something that is called being censorious, which is a word that we don't even need to bother defining, but it's like being fault-finding. The easiest way to think about the judging that I believe that Jesus is condemning is fault-finding judging. Someone who is intentionally looking and saying things like, hey guys, it's distracting when you uh, cross your legs like that. That would be fault finding. Uh, so Jesus says, I'm not supposed to do that, but I am tell, I'm actually telling please, please, that's distracting. but it's, it's cute, but please don't do it anymore. Uh, so it actually isn't that. that. That's actually more like restoring that I'm going to talk about later. But if I'm just going to go and pick on someone and just go, Man, that guy, I can't believe he... And you just start looking for things that, is, that are wrong with that person. For the whole goal is just saying, I don't like that. I can't believe they're that way. They shouldn't be that way. You are looking for faults in other people. And unfortunately, we all do it. There's some reasons for some reason, there, we, we take joy in looking at another person and finding something that is wrong with them, I think it's because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Right? We find something that we go, "I can't believe they would do that. I would never do that." We we feel better by condemning and judging and fault finding and other people, and it's just it's not helpful. And here's what's, what's what's true is we judge other people by their worst moments, and we judge ourselves by our best it happens even though you don't know it you look and you see the worst thing that someone else does and you say i can't believe they would do that that's terrible but we think only about when we are at our best and we think yeah i mean look at look at all the good i do we don't think about the worst things that we do we don't think about the best things that others do we tend to judge others by their worst and ourselves by our best and that's just it's not helpful um why is this unacceptable well for for a couple of reasons one is that it presupposes that we know the whole picture you know we sometimes look into someone's life and we just go oh i can't believe they would do that and there's a couple of phrases that have really helped me along the way as i've looked at other people and have gone i can't believe they would act that way i can't believe they would do that to someone else one of them is that hurt people hurt people you might have heard that before but a lot of times, if you look at someone who is acting poorly, they have been hurt. They're hurting others because they have been hurt themselves. So something has been broken that is not supposed to be there in their life, and that's why they act the way that they do. Um, going along in that phrase, I've heard someone say, just a phrase that goes back hundreds of years, a couple, you know, at least 100 years. It says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. We don't think about that. We just judge people. We just sort of go, oh, I can't believe they acted that way. I can't believe they did that. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. I'll give you one example of how I did this in a small way. This, isn't, this was sort of not you know, too, super, but I was super judgy. Before I had kids, uh, when I would see the houses or the cars of people who had kids and like, couldn't get it together. Like, I remember going into somebody's house and they had, I think they had at that point, five kids there's like crayon on the wall, and I'm like, you know, like, dude, seriously, get your kids under control. Like, get, you can't clean up the crayon, you know. And I remember go, I had very, very good friends who had a minivan. They had at the time four kids, and then added a fifth kid. It was their minivan was so messy. It was like, it was like they had taken an entire package of graham crackers and like intentionally just just cr- crunched them up and just like smushed them into the seats like that like uh, it was it was it was like why can't you keep your you know and then I had children and then I realized oh you're fighting a hard battle every day when you have little kids like you are you are throwing graham crackers back there just please just do whatever you want just please stop screaming like you, that's why there's graham crackers everywhere you go I remember one time when our kids drew on the wall Like, there's a reason why you don't repaint it immediately when a kid draws on your wall, because they're going to do it tomorrow. So you don't wait. You wait until they are grown, and then you repaint. Like, there's just so many difficult things happening in other people's lives, and we tend to judge them immediately. We don't know what's going on, what the whole picture is. So, we don't know the whole picture the second reason why we shouldn't fault find is that it presupposes that we ourselves have no fault before God, as though we somehow uh, have no need of correcting. And we, we talked about this, this parable in the past a couple of weeks ago, Christian mentioned it, but there's a parable of the unmerciful servant that is so important that when the guy who uh, is forgiven a million dollars goes to the, to the friend of his who owes him five bucks and says, give me, give me my money, I have, you, know, you owe me five bucks and has him thrown into jail, like, you have so many things to work on in your own life that you don't need to spend your time judging others and sort of wagging your finger at them. So the key to understanding the kind of judging that God requires is the heart behind it. If our heart is to seek the best of our brother or sister, Jesus tells us it's appropriate and he even gives us steps to how this can happen. If our heart instead is to judge the other person, to wish the worst on them, to wish them punished for their mistakes so that you feel better about yourself, that's not what God wants you to do. So what is the, what is the good kind of judging? What is the, the word that it would be the opposite of fault finding? That word is restore. So instead of judging, God says we should seek to restore those who are straying, those who are not doing uh, what they should, not, not living the life that God wants them to live. Galatians 6.1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So when we see someone struggling, we should have a heart to help them. The goal of restoration is to seek the best for the person you are observing. It, you know, it's, it, and it's not okay for us to be in this business. It's, it's actually our job to be doing this. The, the Bible commands us. He says, it is your job to restore someone who is going astray. It's not our job to take the place of God and to pass judgment on them. There's a commentator who puts it this way. He says, the command to not, to not judge or to judge not, is not a requirement to be blind, but a plea to be generous. Jesus doesn't tell us to cease to be human by suspending our critical powers, but to renounce the ambition to be God. So we, it's impossible for us not to judge. It, it is literally impossible. Like we, It just happens. We see something, and right or wrong enters into our mind. But at that point, we have a decision to make. Are we desiring to heap judgment and to wish the worst for someone? Or do we desire God's heart? Do we pray for those that we see are struggling and need to be restored? And we have to recognize where it's God's place to judge and our place to restore. God can judge the whole earth. Our job as, uh, as followers of Jesus is to seek the best of our brothers and sisters. And from time to time, That will include using our critical powers to help each other out. And if we go back to the passage, uh, Jesus says, go go back to verse 3. He actually gives us, so he says don't judge, but then look, he gives instructions for when we should seek to help someone, right? He doesn't say don't judge and then forget about it and walk away. He says don't judge because you're going to be measured by that. Then he says, he says that... When you see a speck of sawdust in someone's eye, he doesn't say to ignore it. That actually wouldn't be loving. If I saw someone that was struggling with something, specifically, I mean, I don't know if you've ever gotten something stuck in your eye and you can't get it out. It is really annoying. And it is not loving to see someone who is struggling and to walk away. That's to to use the example that Jesus uses. However, it is really uh, foolish to think that if we, he says, you who are looking at the speck of sawdust in someone's eye, what you need to understand is that you have a plank in your eye. Okay, so Watson, come up here for just a moment, please. So imagine for a second that Watson, um, I, I'm looking at Watson I'm like, hey buddy, hey, uh, sorry about your Packers. Um, so, oh my gosh, you've got a speck of sawdust. In your eye, pretend like you're like kind of struggling with it. Just like, oh man, I got something. Hey, let me help you. I'm gonna help you with that. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna let me. Let me. Ju- uh, this is let, I, let me. Let me. Let me. Let me just. Uh, uh, yeah, it does, that wouldn't make any sense, would it? Thank you, Watson. Appreciate it. Thanks. I should have given you uh, safety goggles to make sure you weren't injured. But so that's. I actually think this is Jesus. I think I think this I think Jesus was funny and I think this is sort of we lose it in the translation but I think he's he is actually using comedy because this is literally what he's talking about. He's imagining us to to, he's asking us to imagine what it would be like if someone with a plank of wood in their eye went to someone who had a speck of sawdust and said, "Bro, I'm really, I'm really worried about you. I'm worried about that speck of sawdust, man. We can't be just having specks of sawdust in our eyes. You know, all the while I have a plank coming out of my own eye." Jesus says, "We have to do something about that. So, he, um, we have to make sure that we." pay attention to what's going on in our own lives first. It would be like if you walked into uh, an emergency room and you had, uh, you, you just broke, you're, you're pretty sure you broke your arm. Like you were playing football and you fell down and you're like, man, my arm really hurts. And so you walk into uh, an ER and as you walk into the ER, you see that there are doctors and nurses and they have just at all sorts of wounds. They've got like, some of them ha- are like missing hands. Some of them are, you know, like there's, they're like, they, they have slings and they've got like, and they're like walking around on crutches and they're supposed to be the ones helping. And they look over at you and they're like, Hey, that, that looks like a broken arm. You should really get that checked out. And then they go about their way, like what, what, what? You can't do that. You can't be the person who is trying to help if you yourself have not helped yourself. So we have to uh, take care of that. I, the, the last example I give you is when I moved to Chicago from Texas. I didn't have much of an accent. If you grew up in Austin, you kind of don't really have much of an accent. A few words here and there. But I would meet people. I didn't know that the Midwest has an accent. And apparently, people in the Midwest don't know that some of them have strong accents. And so, I remember talking to somebody and being like, you know, they're like, oh, where are you from? Like, I- I'm from Texas. Oh, yeah, I hear that now, now that you say that. Yeah, yeah, you have a really strong Texas accent. Yeah, you do. Oh, uh, that's funny. I I I don't. I didn't think I did. I, you know, now that you mentioned it, I I think you, you might you might have, and I me? Oh, that's crazy. I don't have an accent. You have an accent. You're crazy. You know. So they they can't hear it. They can't hear that they have an accent. We have to first go about removing the plank from our own eyes. So there's four quick steps as we wrap this up here to properly restoring a brother or a sister. The first one is this. Remove the plank from your own eye. So we turn a critical eye to ourselves. We figure out what is that thing. Jesus says, you've got to remove the plank from your own eye. Be the kind of person who is in relationship with others so that if, there is, if, there, like, if you're walking around with a plank sticking out of your eye and no one is telling you, it's the same thing as if you've got spinach in your teeth. And nobody tells you. That is a true friend, folks. That's a true friend. It's embarrassing to be like, hey, you got a little. But you know if someone is telling you to get that spinach out of your teeth, that that means that they really care about you, right? It's the same way. Have the kind of friendships that if there is some glaring thing that's happening in your life, you are the person who is going to point that out. So um, we remove the plank with help from others. we, We remove the plank from our own eye. The second thing is to be discerning about what needs to be ad- addressed. So you don't want to be the, the sin police. Nobody likes the sin police. If just constantly all you're doing is going up to people and just being like, hey, you've, you've got this wrong, you've, you need to fix this, uh, this is something that you need to you know, a- address, it, the, it, should, it should only be something that is very important. And I've, I've heard the analogy used, it's really helpful that it has to be a strong enough friendship. So whatever you drive, like imagine your friendship with this person like a bridge. And if the bridge is strong, you can bring something heavy over that bridge. But if the bridge of the friendship isn't very strong, if you don't know them well, you don't have a, like your friendship doesn't have a lot of trust, you can't drive something heavy over that friendship. There has to be a, a strong friendship developed first and then you can drive something over that. So if you've got a strong friendship and you know, and you, you see Okay, you've removed the plank now. You've removed the plank from your own eye. And you see that there's a speck of sawdust in somebody else's eye. And you're like, man, I can see that that's bothering. I can see that they need help being restored. Whatever it is that, that is, is going on. Um, the, the, the bridge of my friendship with them is strong enough that I can address this. That's the second thing. And then uh, the third thing is that we need to be willing to confront. So we need to be willing to go to them. Um, and... That's the hardest part, to be honest with you. It's really hard to, to, to be proactive and to say, have that hard conversation. Hey, I feel like there's something that is going on in your life, and you're not kind of being the person that God made you to be, how can I help you with that? That may be a way that you could go about that. Um, and I would say that the best way to do that, too, is just to go one-on-one one to the person. Jesus talks about that in Matthew 18. You can read that later if you want to. But going one-to-one and saying, hey, there's this sawdust, and I feel like it's really bothering you, and how can I help you with that? So be willing to do that. And then the fourth thing is to pray and keep the matter private. Um, it is so much easier to go to another person and say, can you believe they got that speck of sawdust in their eye? And afterwards to be like, well, I went and talked to them about it, and here's how it went. Don't do that. Don't, don't widen the circle more than you need to. Keep the matter private. It's between you and them. If God has called you to have that kind of relationship with them, uh, then you don't need to, 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 to widen the circle and, and you know, potentially other people get involved. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. That Galatians verse actually says, be careful so that you don't fall into the same kind of sin. We are always, uh, you know, there's, there's always a temptation that we're going to stumble along the way. We need to pray that God would move in our hearts. Let's pray.